Welcome to the Labcast by IAOA with your host, Captain Dave Jackson. Hey there, hey there, Clapcast listeners. This is Captain Dave Jackson coming to you. I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk to this guy. This is like, in my version, Mr. Technology. This guy knows more about technology in the insurance world than any 10 people you're ever going to meet. And so I want to say welcome, Jeff Roy. Thank you for coming on with us. Captain Dave, always a pleasure. It's great to see you. It's been, uh, I think we bumped into each other in Cleveland at the... uh, the conference there, right? Maybe the last yeah. time we saw each other face to face. The big eyes elevate conference. Yeah. 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 So it was that good. Was, uh, it's been a while. That was and before again, COVID. So that was a little while. Yeah. And I think last time I've been at the, uh, at your conference was in Phoenix in 2018. I got to kick it off. So, uh, it was you. pretty, yeah. it was a great time. And, uh, I've always had a great time at IAOA's conference, uh, when I got to go and then COVID kind of us people in Canada got stuck up here and we couldn't get Boy. out. So I had to watch you guys continue to live your lives while we were in a bubble. So <laughs> yeah, the frozen tundra stayed frozen. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's too funny too. So, uh, for those of you that don't know Jeff, you're going to enjoy this episode thoroughly. I guarantee it. I kind of hyped him up there for a second, but the hype is real because, First off, if you didn't notice, Jeff's got a teeny bit of an accent. He's not from the United States, uh, living there now at least. He's from Canada, our great partner and country to the north, Clinton, Ontario. Tell people where Clinton is, Jeff, if they don't know. Uh, it's about uh, 10 kilometers away from the moose's ass. No, just joking. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, if you, Those have heard of Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Toronto is the, sure, actually, sure. Fu- funny enough, the third biggest city in North America, uh, people don't realize how big Toronto is. Uh, we live about two hours west of uh, Toronto. It's a town of 3,200 people in a beautiful rural setting that uh, has a lot of farmers, a lot of second, third, fourth generation people here. So, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up with, with the small town mentality. Uh, so at, wherever Una and I go, we take that uh, small town values and beliefs with us. So just so people make sure I heard it right and our listeners heard it right. You didn't say 320,000. You said 3,200 people. 3,200 people. I jokingly call Metro Clinton when I'm in in Toronto. His people are like, Metro Clinton, is that just an extension of Toronto? No, it's my sarcastic, right? (laughs) And uh, I used to, when back in the days before uh, GPS and Google Maps and uh, Apple Maps, I'd always tell people I live at A5. So A5, I don't know how this looks in the camera, but a5 on the grid reference uh, yep, because people yep. didn't know where it was. And I'd always have to find the closest landmark remotely close. So sometimes it's Toronto, sometimes it's London, sometimes it's Stratford. But uh, yeah, the, the the fun parts about living in a small town. Wow. Uh, and obviously you live in the heart of hockey. So everybody there is hockey nuts, hockey crazy. Uh, you're no different, Correct. Yeah, I played hockey. Uh, I'm a I'm a goaltender, so I had puck shot up my head, and a lot of people uh, blame me for being an insurance because I took too many pucks to the head, and it was the only career I could do. But uh, I play, I still play hockey to this day. I'm 52 years old, and I still play 10 to 20 games a year, and uh, still flop down on the ice and get back up. And uh, yeah, we get a real passion for hockey here in Canada. I coached goalie school for 20 years. 
uh, which I helped in my community. And uh, I'm a, unfortunately, I'm a, I call it a recovering Maple Leafs fan. I've got this sick addiction Ooh. that I think someday they're going to win the Stanley Cup. I believe before I die and uh, I'm starting to run out of years to be quite honest, but uh, I've been cheering for so long. I just can't, uh, I can't give it up. I got to keep going. And uh, you know, you can tell I, my beer is always half full, not half empty. I'm an optimist. So uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll figure yeah. that out. Uh, so yeah. Maple big Leafs hockey. Fan. You're right there with the Chicago Cubs and baseball. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. So when you play today, are you still a goalie? Yeah, still play goalie. Still pl- put the pads on, and uh, yeah, still nice. try and try and recreate what I did uh, twenty years ago at uh, maybe a, a somewhat slower scale. But uh, I'm still competitive. I still, you know, once you're a goalie, you hate to let a goal in, you hate to lose, and as soon as I'm happy letting a goal in or losing, it's time to hang the skates up. Mm-hmm. So you must be doing okay because you're still you're still skating. They still ask me back. I haven't got cut yet, so. <laughs> so, I don't know the game of hockey. We'll get to the boring insurance stuff in a minute, but I want to hear our listeners to learn about you. Uh and I don't I know hockey. I had season tickets for a minor league level couple couple years and I follow the sport. I don't follow like the NHL super super close. Obviously, I know who the Maple Leafs are. But in terms of goalie, it, don't the players and the coaches look at the goalies as that's the craziest person on the team. Yeah. The, there's a, you heard the term uh, goalies are a rare breed. They're strange. They're different. Uh, right. There's a whole bunch of uh, uh, terms. And again, I like to think that's the other 98% of goalies, not the 2% that I'm in. So uh, I, I always look at it that way, but uh, goaltending has got a lot more credit. Uh, the credibility has gone up. Uh, equipment has changed. It's got lighter. The the goaltending position has really evolved. You know, science, uh, technology, uh, physiology, stuff has went into it. So goaltending has got a lot better. Uh, as a pucks, you know, pucks are coming at you at 100 miles an hour. No, so that's you ha- why I say crazy. Yeah, yeah. Cra- crazy. That sounds nuts the, to me. The equipment when goalies are crazy, they used to uh, 100 mile an hour puck is coming at your face with no mask. And, right, uh, right. It, it, you know, until they started, you know, some people were crazy because they're getting a puck off the side of their head with no equipment on. That's where I think, you know, the goalies back in the you know, 1950s and 60s, uh, Jacques Plant was the first goalie to, he got hit in the face, got 150 stitches. He said, screw this. And he went and put a mask on. And back then the coaches didn't want you to wear a mask because they felt it would restrict your vision. So it took people, creative people like him to, to actually say, hey, I'm not going to get puck shot at my head. You know, so that's, a, a, a lot of goaltenders aren't crazy anymore. It's a lot more acceptable, but uh, they're, you know, that, that terminology is still floating around. So Okay. So they have better protection today than they ever had. 100%. That's good. Okay. That made total sense. So, all right. Uh, so I want to know our listeners to know a little bit about you personally. Um, are you from the Clinton or Toronto area? Yeah, I grew up in Clinton. I was born here. Uh, I've lived here my entire life except for five years when I went off to university. Uh, I went off and did a business degree, came back and uh, worked at insurance in the summers with my father. And uh, that unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I came back and had to work in the brokerage because they needed the help. And uh, I didn't have the opportunity to work for anybody else but my father. Yeah, once I was done university, I uh, worked on a farm uh, when I went to high school. So I, you know, shoveled uh, manure, threw hay bales around, drove farm equipment, 
uh, cleaned out chicken barns and beef barns. So I kind of, you know, learned how to work hard. So, you know, I, I, did, I wasn't going to own a farm anytime, anytime soon. So quickly realized I better get my marks up so I could get into university. So, you know, some of the small town stuff kind of, uh, reflected on, uh, growing up where I was, but, uh, yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit of background there. And, uh, you know, I've got just to kind of give you a history. I've been in the insurance industry since 1989, so a lot of your listeners probably weren't even born when I got my broker's license, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, 34 years of uh, you know when I started uh, the the cool. I got my dad's computer system set up in the office and and got the first rating system put in. My dad was doing everything by pen and paper, you know, pulling manuals out, uh, writing things down, calculating rates, and we quickly put a rater in place back in 1990. That was one of my first projects. Uh, okay, you just said 1990. 1990. I don't yeah. know if people understand. The internet was only out like two years at that point. Actually, it wasn't out. So. To be quite honest, it had not been invented. Had been invented, but uh, Berners Lee, I think, invented it. You know, back in like late 70s, mid 80s. Sure. But sure. I could, I didn't actually get onto the World Wide Web until 1994 when mm-hmm. uh, the American Online mailed me out like everybody else access through your dial-up. 9200 BPS modem or 14404, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. That disturbing sound that nobody wants. Yep. For some reason, yep. nobody ever has that as a ringtone on their phone. I don't my, know why. My but, modem connecting. Yeah. yeah. So that's what. So this is prior to the internet. And uh, my, my when I came into the office, the most innovative thing my dad had was a typewriter that we could type out an auto ID card and it would save it memory and it would type out four or five more if we memory. Put Holy yeah. moly. That, that was pretty fancy. cool. And, that, and then uh, we put our first fax machine with the curly paper in that was, that was, that was considered groundbreaking technology back Thermal in 1990. Yeah. yeah. So pretty yeah. crazy, but now yeah. we're into AI and robotic process oh, automation. Man. And, you know, totally I, I, I could give you a list of 35 acronyms and terms that people throw around to sound cool at the cocktail party about where technology has gone now. So it's kind of gone full circle, Dave. It's uh, quite for an sure. evolution, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, you've seen it. So you, you, it's feels like what you just said, you embrace it from the very beginning. You, t- in your dad's agency, you said, let's Bring in the the new stuff, you know. It wasn't anything like today, of course. Whatever was new at the time. Yeah. Um. A, me- a typewriter with memory. I know. I remember typewriters. I took typewriter class in high school. Yeah. You had it wasn't keyboarding. It was a typewriter. There were no. There was a computer lab, but five guys with one computer in my high school. Uh, five guys got to take that lab class uh, with a PC. And it wasn't anything like a PC today, you know, monochrome monitor, big old square box, you know, all that crap. Yeah, no, I did the same thing. It's funny. I looked at, I took two shop classes. I took drafting and electronics, and then mm -hmm. I took typewriting, typing. And uh, I thought, you know what, the future of the world is computers. I better learn how to type. And uh, our teacher, Miss Renshaw, if you were bad, she walked around with a ruler stick and whack you over the hands. It uh, is a different way to learn. It wasn't quite like, uh, what is it, uh, Mavis Beacon or whatever the different keyboarding programs, the QWERTY keyboarding stuff was. But hey, you know, my entire life I've typed a lot. One of the best courses I ever took was typing. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. It was an optional elective for us. It wasn't wasn't even required because... Typewriters are the only things around. So they had gone from manual to electric. IBM Selectric 3, you know, the third version was already out when I was in high school. Yeah. I'm older than you. So yeah. um, uh, it, 
and that was it. Computer lab was there, but like I said, only five guys got to take that. That's the limit. They only have one PC, so you couldn't have 20 people using one PC. No. So um, I nobody opted for that. A couple, you know, handful of nerds did, but but everybody else did typewriting yeah. or typing, whatever you call it. And you had to learn a keyboard, basically. Um, the keyboard's the same. The letters are in the same spot. So it basically gave you some good background. So that good on you. Because um, you weren't destined to be a farm boy. No, uh, unfortunately, my parents didn't own any farms, and uh, land back then was expensive. But now, land in our area is going for thirty-five to forty-five thousand dollars an acre. Yeah. So, unless your family's in farming and you've got some uh, access to equipment, you're not going to get in. It's uh, it's right. it's impossible. So you yeah. can't you can't set up a scratch farming agency or farmer. You can't be a scratch farmer. No, no. Not unless you've got millions and millions of dollars and you want to buy out somebody who's got 10 acres or something really Yeah, small. well, no, you need a minimum acres to even, you know, even 100 acres is too small. So there's yeah, no scalability, yeah. right? So it's a, no. it's a tough one to get into. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you about Excalibur, Excalibur Insurance Group. Um, you've been involved 34 years. Now, I usually ask most of my guests or anybody in the industry, you know, did you stumble into insurance like, uh, you know, I did and most people did. And the answer 99% of the time is, yeah, I didn't plan on insurance, but your dad had an agency. Yeah. So you had a natural in. Did yeah. you, when did you know that was going to be your lifelong career? Well, actually, my grandfather started at Victor Roy. He came back from the war and uh, he got gassed. He got he actually had his lungs burned out by mustard gas. And oh, uh, wow. he was going to become a doctor, but they said, no, no, you have to farm. You should be outside because, you know, you can't be inside for long periods of time because of your lung damage. So he got a parcel of land. A lot of the uh, veterans got a really good deal to get land back in World War. This is World War One, so we're talking 1917. So my right. my grandfather farmed uh, for another years. My my uh, cousin still runs the same farm, so the farm's still in the family. But then uh, he left the farming and he started uh, a credit union. And uh, before the credit union, he got into insurance. And uh, there's a company called the Cooperators in Canada that's quite large, probably a top ten company. He was one of the first agents. He helped form it with the people at the table back in the 50s, and he was a, an actual insurance agent at that point. And then he passed the torch over to my father, uh, Peter Roy, uh, who took it over in 57, and uh, he ran as an agent. So he had one company uh, till about the 70s, and he was able to get a farm mutual company. So we had two companies, uh, and uh, the compensation was not great at that point. And uh, 1980, a company came along and said, hey, we're going to give you 15 to 20% commission. And my father was making less than 10% commission back then. So he became a broker. You call it an agent in the US. And uh, that's kind of how the, 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 we became a brokerage. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, my dad needed help doing crop insurance uh, in the summer. He had 500 clients that he had to go and visit, do their acreage reports, measure yields, all that kind of stuff, do claims. So I, you know, having a bit of farm background for five years, went out and saw a bunch of farmers when I was uh, 18 years old, driving around the back roads in a truck, uh, trying to figure out where the heck they lived because we didn't have, I'm not sure if you have 911 numbers in the U.S., but 
We had lot yeah. concessions back then. So, hey, take a left at Joe Brown's place, uh, go four blocks and, you know, or, or look it up in a map. So I got to learn the yeah, my backyard. We had what were called plat maps. Plat maps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't have GPS yeah. back then. So um, no, no. I mean, my GPS looking at a map and figuring where the heck I went to. So I did that in the summers. And then I actually started off in kinesiology. I was going to get into uh, chiropractics or physio or some type of uh, medical industry because I played a lot of sports and thought that was interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, my 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 plans got changed, so I got I did a detour in second year university where I figured that I liked insurance, I liked the people. I, I would say number one, I liked the people, and uh, I liked the fact that it was changing and uh, there was technology in it. So I found that fascinating. Uh, you know how could I apply technology and different things to improve the business. And so I switched over to a business degree and uh, I ended up unfortunately losing a year. So I spent next year in university because my sciences didn't all com- were compatible with my uh, business mm-hmm. course. And lo and behold, I became a broker. And well, what are we with 2023 now? Still doing it. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm not smart enough to get out of it or I love it. I, I think I love it too much and enjoy the industry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, the, the, you know, mind you, it's not quite as much fun as it used to be, but uh, I still do enjoy the industry. But it's it's generally all about the people, the people in the insurance industry in Canada and the U.S. You can't beat them. They're great people. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell, let, let's give our listeners a snapshot of your agency, your current agency. So you've been in the business 34 years since you're 18 years old, uh, personally, but an Excalibur has it actually been called Excalibur and you started as Excalibur 34 years ago. Good question. It was called the PA Roy insurance broker. So it seemed oh, okay. to be big and I, it must've been big in the U S that, Hey, well, let's name the agency after our last name. Right. I think that's a fairly common yeah. thing. It used to be yeah. big. So my dad, no different, uh, called it PA Roy insurance. I got done university in 94 and we had three insurance companies. So imagine today if you're trying to run an agency and you have three weapons when everybody else has got 10, 15 weapons, you can imagine how difficult that is to be successful. So I set up a cluster. Uh, That's what they called them back then. Now, you don't want to use the term cluster anymore because companies don't like it. They, they think nowadays that you're just stacking premiums to get better CPCs, which you are, but they kind of don't like that term in Canada. They like the term group. Uh, so we set up a group. Uh, I went out and I met two other brokerages, actually three other brokerages. We came together and uh, we didn't have a name for the group. Uh, they wanted to use everybody's uh, initial of their last name. So the RMKG. And I just, I'm like, this is brutal. I'm like, I can't, but I couldn't think of anything better. And uh, literally the, the Sunday before the our meeting to, to, to vote a name in, the, the movie Excalibur came up and I watched it. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I started watching it and I'm like, wow, this is great. Honor, you know, integrity, people sitting around a round table, everybody being equal. That's the perfect recipe for a cluster of groups. So mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, took the idea, pitched it the next day and uh, Excalibur came into being about 1995 as a group. And uh, since then, uh, three of the uh, f- there was up to five members. Five of them have either sold out or left the industry, uh, and uh, we ended up going our own way. Where I controlled everything in uh, 2008. Uh, some of the original partners we had different difference of opinion. We just saw the world differently, and uh, you know we we separated on good terms. And I maintained the Excalibur name, and lo and behold, I think we have 30 employees now, five locations, and. Uh, we generate about a thousand to thirteen hundred leads each month on the internet, 
and we've got a sales process to convert those people from strangers into raving fans. So that's kind of nice. where things have kind of come, right? So Knights of the Round Table. That's the X. See my sword in the background, right? So yeah, you don't yeah. uh-huh. if your accounts receivable is uh, out of whack, you might the sword might show <laughs> up, right? But. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> nice motivational tool. Yeah. <laughs> so five locations. Uh, I presume they're all in the Clinton general area. Yeah, they're all for, they're all generally within 20, 25 minutes away. Now all of them are in smaller towns. Uh, we did buy a couple brokerages. I think two brokerages in our journey, but the rest has been all organic growth. And okay. uh, now we have opened our latest location in London. London is a city of 350,000 people. So we do have a location there. We feel it's important to be in a bigger center. There's only so much growth you can get in our area. But uh, right. now that everybody buys insurance and it doesn't matter where, you know, if some people want to physically walk in, but everything's done 80, 90, 80 to 90% of stuff is done online. It's more important to have a really good digital footprint and, uh, you know, make sure you show up good on Google. There's a bunch of things you need to do as an agent to be successful there. We focus primarily on that, but having a footprint for Google and reviews at that location still is critical. So it's nice to have uh, some bricks and mortar, but also have a really good digital presence. Yeah, for sure. So when did your wife, Una, um, get involved with the agency? So she joined in 94. Uh, so she's been working with us, uh, so 94. and Almost uh, as long. Yeah, yeah and uh, again, we were, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, we we both got, we're both married, got divorced. Uh, you know, we both been, I'd been divorced for a couple of years. She was divorced for a year and a half, two years, and then uh, we actually started dating. Uh, so we actually ended up getting married in 2004, but uh, have, uh, have been together since uh, 1999. Uh, so we've been working together, uh, you know, been husband and wife team. Uh, during that period of time, so you don't see a, you don't see a ton of husband and wife teams in the industry. I'm aware of a number of them, but uh, it is you know not everybody can do it, right? Uh, it's tough mm-hmm. as a, a brokerage owner when you work hard at work and then you know you come home and you talk about insurance and it happens. Mm-hmm. Right, and because right. a lot of times you know again over the last three years especially, it's been tough being a business owner you know in any kind of industry the last three years. Uh, going through COVID, post-COVID, and just dealing with all the regulation and all the BS from uh, insurance company changes, regulators, just everything, right? So uh, right. it just seems to be about 20 more layers of things that have evolved over the last three to four years that weren't there that makes uh, you know makes you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think about work instead of sleeping sometimes, right? So uh, you know, I got to say, I wake up more at three and four o'clock in the morning the last three years than any time in my life, but uh, that's just the way things went. Yeah. Um, what I would suggest about that is if you are, had just joined the industry today and didn't know what it was like 34 years ago or five years ago or one year ago, you just knew this is the normal, you know? So if you did it that way, instead of knowing what the past was like and how it's all changed till now, you'd probably be more receptive I would think. Well, I, because I think, you didn't, you don't know any other way. Yeah. Well, one thing is, I think the, the saying used to be when things slow down and get back to normal, and then you realize this <laughs> is the new normal. It's not going to slow down. Yeah. This is the way it's going to no. be. It's not going to change. Like yeah. we used to get uh, companies to make a change once a year. They would print all their changes and mail them out. And, you know, that's how quickly companies could uh, pivot and move. You know, they didn't want to spend too much money on printing uh, manuals. So uh, they didn't make a lot of changes. But now companies are making changes daily, weekly, sometimes hourly, uh, the way things are going. So the the pace of change has never been faster. 
and uh, newsflash is not going to slow down. You just have to have tools and ways to, to manage it and uh, deal with it, right? Mm -hmm, for sure. So there's a few things I want to ask you that you just talked about, about your agency. Um, well, first off, back to Una. Um, so you, you're, you, I was going to ask you the question, but you answered it for me in advance. You're right. Um, spouses can't always work together. Probably more don't than do. Um, so how do you and Una make that work? Well, we're so busy, we never see each other. <laughs> no, it's funny, but <laughs> her, office, been told. her office is beside my office, and uh, we're so busy and consumed that we can almost we can go a whole day without really chatting at the at the physical office because we're so busy. So, uh, so mm -hmm. that's been a good thing. You know, we have different roles too. Like she's VP of operations. She looks after all the account managers of personal lines, all the directors of first impressions. She looks after HR hiring you know, training, all that kind of stuff that goes with HR. So she wears a lot of hats that are different than the hats that I wear. Uh, so it, it uh, you know, works out very well that way. And then again, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, obviously CEO. I, I still have a few clients I look after, but, uh, you know, I got to make, I, I always say I make the, help make the phone ring and sign the paychecks are two critical things, but I got to make sure that we're following the proper governance. I got to make sure we got the right people on the bus. I got to make sure that we have the the big picture strategy, I got to make sure I'm, I, you know, I, I always say I coach my, my VPs and work with my team. And then, you know, basically if there's anything my people need anywhere, I got to make sure I, I find the best ideas of the best people, drag it back to the office here and get them connected so we can continue to grow. And uh, my, my goal is I have to try and make sure that, you know, in our team is we, if we're not outperforming the industry. So if we're not growing in, in faster than in an industry in terms of learning and, and things internally, we can't beat the external environment. So we always have to be nimble, learning, hungry. We can't sit in our laurels and hope uh, great things will happen. So, you know, so it makes it challenging, right? Like, you know, I've never sure. seen more change than I have in the last five years. And I'm sure the next five years, there'll be even more change, you know, especially right now with consolidation. I, I'm sure you're seeing all the consolidation mm -hmm. happening and I'm seeing a lot of big names that have been around forever. It's kind of like the obituaries. I get up in the morning and look at my email, who's who's died or who's sold this week. That's kind of what it feels like, who, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, I guess we haven't sold or died. So that means we're still alive. So that's a good thing. But uh, I, I do see, you know, consolidation mm -hmm. is huge right now. And, uh, you know, everybody's going for scale, trying to, you know, get the, you know, the money's flying around from the, the venture capital firms because, you know, they they can get a 35, 40% return and insurance has a renewal. Not many other industries except for software can pull that kind of stuff off consistently year after year and software has a limited window. So, so just a lot right. of different nuances there, right? Yeah, for sure. So I heard you explain your roles in the agency and one of them is get the phone to ring. So that was one of the topics that I wanted to hone in on because I knew you'd bring that up because this is one of the areas that you excel in. You say you develop and create your own leads. Tell us about how you do that. Yeah, we've got uh, like, and one of the things I'll talk about uh, with the living a story that matters at uh, the conference in uh, Chicago, which Una and I, Una and I are co-presenting. So it's going to be exciting mm -hmm. having a husband and wife team up on stage. Uh, we'll talk about you know how you stand out and the things you need to do as an agency owner to get to grab people's attention right now. And right now, the average attention span used to be a goldfish, eight seconds. I'm not sure who's got a smaller one, a slug. I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's probably down to seven or six seconds. But uh, what we do is we, we have, we've we built our, our website 
And uh, we've done a lot of work on SEO and blogging to drive organic traffic. So uh, we've got to the point now that if we get 100 visitors to our website, we usually convert 16 to 17 into a quote. That used to be four, five, six when we started tracking it. So we've done a number of things from you know, how our pay our website loads to the links to our website to our content uh, and a number of things just to make sure that we start driving that. So we have uh, you know we've been lucky enough to produce eight to nine hundred organic leads each month, and uh, that's so we'll talk about different things that we do to generate those leads. But generating leads is not enough. You need a sales process to take those mm-hmm. leads, respond quickly. You know, run through a script. You know, find their pain points and uh, provide a price and a solution, and get that converted into a client. And then using technology, onboarding them, get them into being a raving fan. So we've built that process. You know, it's something I shared uh, in Phoenix, mm-hmm. and I kind of shared some of our branding in 2017 in Orlando. Kind of when I first connected with uh, all my friends in the U.S. Uh, right. by speaking and sharing our story, but. That's what we do, and uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that at the conference. We'll share some things about how do you, you know, how do you connect with a marketing message with your prospects? How do you connect with your client, your 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 existing clients, and your people you've just written up, your new clients? How do you connect with your team and your staff? And how do you connect with the community? And uh, you know, creating a message that matters, that actually resonates, that people actually see that gets through their brain, that's critical. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people copy other people. Their stuff looks the same. And uh, one of my comments from Seth Godin is, how do you become, how does your agency become a purple cow and stand purple out? Cow. Well, how yeah. can you get a message that pops? That's something that, uh, you know, I can look at somebody's website and tell in 10 seconds if they get it or not, right? You can just tell if people yeah. are connected and if they built a brand that looks like everybody else's or if they built something that's very unique. And, uh, you know, you don't have, you can still survive without a great digital presence. Uh, if you've got centers of influence, you got traditional stuff, that's never gone out of style. Unfortunately, 80% of people start their buying journey online. It's probably 90% now, but the last study I saw 80%. So when they start looking for you, how do you show up? What, what do they see? And if you look at your own website, I see a lot of people have websites. They got stock photos of people that don't work there. Uh, just things that their messages are so generic and vanilla that they're not inviting anybody into their story. And that's right. something we want to talk about. How do you invite your customer into your story and keep they them there? They don't have a story. Yeah. We'll keep them there a as a star, right? Like I look at ourselves right. as we're Yoda. We're, uh, you know, we're basically the person that's the guide on the journey. The, the story's not about us. It's about the individual. They're the star of the show. So how can we, you know, be in the background and pop up when we need to and provide that story? That's some stuff that Una and I are excited to share examples of. Here's what we've done in the real world. And, uh, you know, it's that's what we're going to talk about at uh, to, at the conference uh, and share a bunch of things that we've done. Like, you know, my one of my slides right at the bat is here's our six thousand dollar sign we put up in the front of our building, and it lasted a year because it just didn't feel right. But we couldn't figure out why it didn't feel right, but we just knew it did, didn't feel right. And uh, we asked a bunch of questions, did some soul searching, and we trusted our golden gut that it wasn't good enough, and we found somebody that helped us get better. Right. So some stuff like that. So I just want to kind of share some of that kind of those kind of things uh, with it. So, so back to your point about lead, like brand, you know, having a, a really good pro- uh, process or in the U you call it process in the U S. So Chris Paradiso and I always joke about process versus process, but having a good <laughs> process, having the right technology, having the right people, you know, having that, all that, the ingredients all together to be able to get results 
that's what it's about. And uh, we've been fairly successful. You know, we're still in business. We're growing above average. And, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to evolve, though. You know, what I did yesterday isn't going to be good enough tomorrow. You know, I'm trying right. to figure out right now AI. Like AI, you know, is the buzzword. But the internet used to be the buzzword, too. And a lot of people waited one year, five years, 10 years to be able to figure out what SEO was. And they wish they had done it sooner. AI is going to, you're not going to have 10 years to figure it out. You got to figure it out, you know, in months because it's going to have such hockey stick effect, your weeks. And I'm playing around with stuff right now, trying to understand it. But I'll be honest, I know enough to be dangerous and, but not enough to really channel it. Like we're using it in different cases, but that's kind of the, you know, that's going to be the big thing to take things to another level uh, to help Mm -hmm. agencies scale. But how do you embrace it? How do you, how do you use it? And how do you use it right? How do you use it wrong? You know, those are some things that I think are going to really start changing the game. So, mm-hmm. you're really, really good at answering my questions before I ever ask them. So I'm a goalie. I have to think you're, ahead. You're I'm, I'm trying to figure yeah. out where you're going to put the puck, and I'm already yep. anticipating it. Right? Yeah. So. so I was I was only going to ask you to give us a glimpse of what you're going to talk about at Innovation in October, but. Um, you did that so far because I didn't want you to talk too much about it. No. You know, if you want to hear it all, come come to Chicago and you'll hear it all firsthand. Yeah. So one of the things you said that really intrigued me was uh, your the leads you generate. So I want to do two things. First off, the leads you generate. You did say 100% organic. You don't purchase leads, right? We do have we we do purchase uh, uh, three hundred leads. So out of about thirteen hundred, we do purchase about three hundred leads. We have a a vendor that we've used, and we've got some preferred pricing, and they're very good at generating property or home leads. Uh, it, it's very difficult. Again, I'd love to see organically how people are generating a high number of home or property leads. And again, I think it's something that varies state by state because every state. Every province has different competition, so it's very. But we found it very hard in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Ontario has got, you know, 14, 15 million people. Canada's 50 million people, so we're 35, 40 percent of the Canadian population here, and it is uh, the most competitive battleground of any province. And uh, there's a lot of players. You gotta have. You gotta be on top of your game to compete here. It is super hard to generate property leads. So that's what we found. So that's why we use the aggregator right now. They've been able to generate 150 property leads for us, which is good. You know, the auto leads were were pretty good on, but and it's part of the the package. So we've and we helped work with this aggregator before uh, they became came into market. Uh, we provided some advice and help work with them. So we had a good relationship. So it's very difficult, you know, for the average person, if you're going to buy a lead at $40, Dave, and let's say you're converting at 10%, you divide $40 by 10%, you get $400 acquisition cost. A lot of home, you know, auto policies in different states, maybe only $1,000, you know, 12% commission, you have $120. So do the math, you have to keep that client for three years to break even on it. That's tough to do. And, uh, you know, right. people, you know, especially in the Geico world. And again, people nowadays, if you live on the coast, good luck trying to get insurance. You know, right. I'd hate, I hate to be a broker in Florida, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and even California. I see all my agent friends there and I just have a lot of empathy for them. You know, Billy Wagner, you know, he said to re- he has to remarket a lot of people to new clients with like 60 days notice 
And, uh, you know, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job. He's one of the top agents and also speaking at the conference, you know, Una and I are good friends with them, but I watch what some of my friends are going through and, uh, Una and I have a ton of empathy for them. And, uh, also we're learning by, you know, you know, Canada, when is Canada going to become that, you know, we've got a lot of forest fires up here, you know, luckily where we live, we haven't had as many, but BC has been on fire for two months. Quebec's had a lot of fires, Northern Ontario, you know, is are things going to become uninsurable or the price so high people can't afford it? Is that something that uh, global warming will bring in? These are things that as an, an agency owner keeps you up at night, right? Because right. at the end of the day, if you don't have a company or capacity that, you know, nobody's manufacturing your product, we have nothing to sell. And uh, we've been very fortunate companies in Canada. I can't think the last one that's went bankrupt here. It's probably been over 20, 25 years, but that could change tomorrow, right? So- it's uh, the future is some people they look at it as amazing and there's great unlimited potential, but there's a number of pitfalls too, right? Right. So you said you generate what, 1300 leads per month? Yeah, that's what we're doing on average. Like the last number of months, we've been hitting that target. And, Organic uh, and uh, aggregator combined. Yeah, that's combined. We, we did do AdWords okay. for a long time. I'll be honest, AdWords, we used to be really good at it and, you know, generating 10 to $12 leads. Uh, during COVID, a lot of people jumped in. That price is, is went to $40, $45. And I, we just didn't find those the quality was good. Those are Google ads for those who don't yeah. know. Yeah, AdWords, Google ads. Yeah, the, they've got to be yeah. very pricey. And then social media, we do some, we do a bunch of different things in combination, but a lot of it's more brand awareness, right? Like social media, uh, people said, oh, I can generate $10 leads on, on Facebook. I think that's a lot more difficult now, in my opinion. I'd like to see what the quality of those, if somebody's successful doing it. I know a lot of people were doing it before. I don't hear as many people raving about their Facebook leads right now. Maybe It was a fad. I think it's a fad, right? Like I said, now we, yeah. I look at Facebook and Jason Cass would say, it's like the, it's, it's rented land. It's like a billboard, right? So we mm-hmm. want to get our brand out. We're doing a test right now. For instance, we went, up, we went back to radio, never done radio. And uh, we're doing ads in a territory with radio. We have social media media ads showing up and uh, we're doing the analytics to see if, Hey, are we getting more leads digitally from that area? Because most people are going to Google your name, right? Like the days of putting your phone number on the end of it, nobody's writing a phone number down there. Just remember the name and typing in uh, Google, whatever it is. But uh, so those are just some things that, uh, yeah, we have a number of things and we've got some center of influence referrals that everybody's got. We got a referral program that's been very effective. Like there's certain things as an agency that you need to build. And uh, uh, Billy Williams, I think he spoke at your, uh, at the conference before, right? Have you had Billy Williams? No. Okay. Billy Williams. Everybody on our stage is an agency owner. Yeah. I guess he's more, he's more an an investor. I guess he's more an investor, but, uh, but he's, here's an example of a person that's got a lot of different ways. Like, Hey, here's the things you need to be doing as an agency owner. They're, they're core things. And, uh, you know, if you're not doing them, you're missing, you know, opportunity to grow your, your agency. Right. Right. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for two seconds here. Sure. Cause there's going to be a lot of guys, a lot of guys and gals who are listening here. And they've only been in the business one, three, five, ten years, you know, not 34 years. Uh, and they're going to say, yeah, what you're doing is easy when you've been around 34 years. Your name has been out there for 34 years. You're doing radio on top of, you know, all the other stuff. So to generate 1,300 leads, that's way easier than me at three years old. 
I don't have that kind of presence in my community. And you're rural, so people know you. You know, they knew your father, they knew your grandfather. You have all these things going for you. So I'm at a serious disadvantage when I could try to compare myself to Jeff Roy at Excalibur and try to generate that a thousand organic leads a month. You know, I couldn't compare. You buy that? No, I just, as soon as, you know, it's a, I call that a self limiting belief. And I think that, sure. you know, some of the best people and the most innovative people, uh, you know, and again, one of the books I'm reading right now is, you know, 10X is easier than 2X. And it talks yeah. about Michelangelo yeah. about, I don't know if you've read it or listened to it. I'm, just, not. I'm, I'm listening not. to it in my car right now. Uh, it's funny. I bought mm -hmm. it and then Chris Paradiso uh, shared it. And uh, I'm like, I just bought that. So I listened to the first couple of chapters and it talks about Michelangelo, you know, the first couple of works he did were 10 times more than he's ever done before. And by having to try and get there, he develops skills uh, to be able to complete the job. So my thing to, if you're a scratch agency is look at, you know, you have to get off the ground, you get to sell, right? Like number one is you got to create clients. All, you, do. Yeah. All you have to do is sell like a bat out of hell, right? Or whatever, whatever saying you want to use, but you got to get uh, some volume on the book so you can get some help. But there's certain mm -hmm. core things that always work. You have to have a good website and uh, you know, Make sure, like a lot of people go, oh, I can't afford one. You can't afford not to have one, and it doesn't have to be amazing right off the get go. But you can block some time in to do that, right? Uh, and make sure you get some personality in there. Like you don't have to spend a ton of money with a branding company, but if you're a one person shop, your personality is the brand, right? So figure out something totally. unique about your brand and tell your story. Like I've seen some great scratch agents tell their story well, right? And uh, mm -hmm. you tell your story well and start building it. You know, you may have not have done amazing things yet, but you will and uh, start looking at, uh, hey, here's what I want to accomplish. And then start setting some goals saying, listen, if I could start generating 20, 30 leads a month organically, what would I have to do? What if I, and then start trying to scale that. And there's some stuff to do that, you know, in terms of, you know, writing some blogs yourself, uh, making sure your page loads quickly and you're, you, there's really, it's not very expensive. So these are things you can start scaling with small. And uh, also, you know, you can build your own network, you know, yes, my family was around, but my, my, my family wasn't involved with a lot of the local kinsman club or, you know, uh, business improvement association or chambers, that's something I brought in. I joined the chambers. I went to the meetings and I didn't go there just to write clients. I went there to make a difference and showed up with intention where I'm there to work and help raise money for the community. And if I pick up clients at, at the end, that's a bonus. And that was why it was very successful for us because that's why we were there. I wasn't there flag, hey, buy insurance, buy insurance. People would come to us by being there. So nowadays, right. you know, if you block some time to, to network with people, that should be in your DNA to build those centers of influence and network with people. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt Manonoli um, from uh, GNN Insurance, there's a lot of people, Billy Wagner, that are incredible at building COIs. And uh, that's something that's that, that that works, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of different things no you question. can do to block time off, but it's intentionality. If you don't put it in your schedule and you don't block time to do it, guess what? You're gonna it's gonna get filled up doing the trivial, mundane stuff that okay. uh, is gonna end up you know taking you off track. And you have to figure out what are your three or four critical things you need to do as an agency owner to get that volume and set some goals and start working at it and uh, hold yourself accountable. And more importantly, get an accountability partner. A lot of people don't have an accountability partner. They, they, they don't even tell their wives or significant other, their husbands that, hey, I want to do this. And then they miss their goals and nobody knows about it. If people know about your goals, they're going to hold you accountable. And if it's out there in the universe that I said, I'm going to do this, damn, I better pick up my game and actually make it happen. Right?
Yeah, for sure. So this but this what? this garage stuff, hey, you've chosen it and you want to dive into it and you put your heart into it, you can do anything, right? Like we started doing our online stuff. We were we bought a couple leads. We weren't generating any leads, right? Our website was horrible for years. You know, we had people on there that weren't our staff. We had three different people do it. We had no idea what we're doing. And uh we made we wanted to figure it out and we figured it out. But it's by meeting people, asking questions, reading doing podcasts, you know, you have to grow yourself to be able to grow your agency, putting that time in to make yourself better. That's what people have to do. Right. That's my, that's my five cents. Yeah, for sure. So let me tell you a story. So IOA, uh, for those who are listening, I don't know for some crazy reason, uh, in this coming January will be 10 years old. Um, I met Jeff seven or eight years ago when he first connected with, uh, a lot of the U S brokers here in the U S Yeah. And uh, we are a private Facebook group. Every one of our 9,138 members belong to, belong to a private group on Facebook. Okay. So social media is our platform. Of those, 99.9999% I have personally vetted because I, as a founder of the group, I had two requirements. Other than using Facebook, you must be independent. And you must be a principal slash owner slash partner, have an ownership stake in your agency. That was a requirement. Was day one, still is today. And everybody loves it that way. So that's not likely to change. But what that meant is I needed to know before I approved you to become a member that you're independent. That means you typically represent multiple insurance companies. Uh, And number two, as a broker, and number two, you uh, have an ownership stake. So in doing that, um, we Facebook allows us to ask three qualifying questions. I ask for the name of your agency, your title or position, and today I ask for email. Didn't used to do that before, but uh, we do today. And in the email, if people are giving me their true work email address, that typically has your URL yep. to your agency. So that lets me get to their website real quick. So I'm going to guess, <laughs> and I don't think I'm exaggerating, I've probably seen seven or 8,000 insurance agency websites in checking all these folks out. A lot of them are referred by current members, but not all of them. Uh, Facebook refers a lot uh, because people are just on Facebook searching. Yeah. But um, So I see these websites, and I got to tell you, Jeff, just like you just said a few minutes ago, there are there are websites of agencies that were created in the 90s and they still look like it. Yeah. 1990s. That's almost 25 30 years ago. It's incredible. Uh websites look nothing today like they did 3 years ago, let alone 25 yeah. or 30 years ago. So, I mean, I you know, I could if I had one, I'd throw up a screenshot of what one of them looks like. Oh my gosh, it's scary. So how many of them have a photo of you and as the owner and their staff? A very small percentage. They don't, they don't even let people, you were talking about, you know, the purple cow and Seth Godin and how do you stand out? Well, you're not going to stand out with stock images, you know, the happy family in the house, in the car, you know, everybody can have that on their website and it doesn't make you look any different than the next guy. So I love the, you saying that because that is so true. I've experienced it myself and having to look at all these agency websites. There's so many of them that need help and I don't care what their, their response is. I don't have the money. I don't have the time, whatever. 
you just said yourself, you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to spend the time. It has to happen. If you're going to if you're going to compete in 2023. Listen, the internet's been out for 35 years. Okay? And you're still um living in nine, you know, 30 years, 1990s, 30 years ago. So, if that would be my advice, uh is get at least into the 90s. Come on, you 90s guys, at least get into the 2010s. But while, if you're going to do any kind of updating, bring it all the way up to date yeah. and do the things. So no. do the things that go to Excalibur Insurance. What's your website, Jeff? Excaliburinsurance.ca. .ca. Okay. Go to Jeff's website and look at some of the things that are happening on his website. Pay close attention and you will see some of the most advanced things that any agency is using out there. You were one of the first to ever talk about chatbots. Yeah. You know, and how many years ago has that been? Well, I said I had a chatbot in 2017, and we actually did a demo mm-hmm. at uh, Elevate in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where I did uh, you had Google. Uh, we actually did a demonstration of how to get an auto quote using voice, and it was very cutting edge at that point. Unfortunately, at that time, Pro Navigator was doing it. They decided to pivot. Uh, they have a product called Ask Sage now. So they became right. the Google for agents. So unfortunately, we had it working. Uh, it was maybe ahead of its time. Uh, natural language processing is going. I, I believe the next version, there's a company called Koyos in Canada that's actually going to be able to connect it right onto your phone and capture information, have a conversation, and then put that data into a BMS. I had a friend, actually Sharif from Trufala, that shared a conversation a mm-hmm. Google engineer had with somebody on a product. And it sounded you know, amazing. It passed the Turing test, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. it sounded pretty good. The only thing is they use an English accent. People always use the English oh, accent because it, it sounds more sophisticated, on, eh? though. It covers up a lot of, uh, you know, it makes it sound a lot smoother by using the English accent. So I always think that 20% of your experience sounds better with an English accent. Uh, but anyway, that's an example. Okay, so when you say English accent, do you mean British? I mean British. Or British American? Sorry. I yeah, mean yeah. British English. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, and yeah. one, one quick thing, but you mentioned about the websites, uh, Chris Langeal, Advisor Evolved, uh, he does some good stuff and I mean, there's a bunch of other people that people do it. Uh, I, I, we currently use our, people ask me, who do we use? Our branding and marketing company has a, a side that does websites. So we have it all in house there. We do it all f- kind of from scratch ourselves, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I was joking with another friend about instead of bar rescue, we should have agency rescue where people go out and try and help people fix some of their pages, right? A TV show. John yeah, Tafferda, yeah. You know, it's not quite as bad because, uh, you know, <laughs> people can make a, a decent living at insurance still doing things wrong, but it's in, in or not cutting edge, but it's going to become more and more difficult because again, just let's figure out when these people with scale actually have teams that actually know what they're doing at a higher level and they can execute they can do a lot more damage, but uh, a lot of these big entities are still trying to figure out how to use their size and, and scale to do what they need to. But it's going to be an interesting uh, battleground moving forward. And uh, yeah. But the scratch agents in the U.S. seem to be doing well. Like I think there's no more scratch agents anywhere in the world than the U.S. And uh, they see a lot of people do very extremely well down there. And uh, bravo, like, there's way more scratch agents and smaller agencies in the U.S. than Canada you know, I think what is there, thirty-eight or thirty-nine million, or sorry, thousand, thousand. agencies mm-hmm. in the U.S. And I think we're at four, brokers, four yeah. or five thousand. So again, you're doing something right down there, and obviously your organization's mm-hmm. providing some services and advice and a place for people to they need the help to get it right. My dad, well, right. I'll point. One, I know we're getting near our end of our time, but one of my 
dad's biggest challenge as a business owner back in his time, day and age was isolation. You couldn't talk to anybody. You couldn't say, I'm having trouble with this. You took it all home and uh, there wasn't the internet to get help. There wasn't as many books. You know, there's no better time in human history for you to be successful with all the different podcasts. And all the other, there's no IOA. No, there's associations that you you worked at. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, as much as everything's competitive, there's no better time in human history for you to get the help, find the people. There's so many services oh, out there. There's no excuses except for you putting the effort in. I agree. Couldn't couldn't agree more, 100%. So two last topics I want to touch on uh, with you. Um, you do have your own podcast, Digital Insurance Pint. Yeah. And you have a few co-hosts. So what's your objective in producing that podcast? Our job 100% is to educate brokers uh, and companies and vendors on the issues that affect us doing business. Uh, if you're uneducated, a lot of people are unaware of, you know, my big passion has been APIs and connectivity between brokers and companies. It's been terrible. It's been bleak. You know, companies have taken a long time. You know, they came up with a thing called a portal. You notice in this year, I've got a shirt on all our images to say no to portals. They've Their big evolution was, hey, we're going to create a portal, dump the work back on the broker or the agent and said, see you later. And, uh, and and they guilt you into doing it because it's better for the client. That's a terrible, terrible solution. And right. uh, you know, we we interviewed Guidewire just last week, and they said it's mm-hmm. actually cheaper to build an API than to build a portal. So there's just a lot of misinformation. So our job is to get the big people that are influencing the industry on there, sharing their stories, asking them the hard questions, and trying to move the industry. So uh, you know, Adam Mitchell runs a very successful brokerage called Mitch in Ontario. He does have a a company called Quoty that does commercial insurance uh, rating and uh, submissions. You know, Steve Earle has got an agency out in New New Brunswick or Halifax uh, out out east. And uh, he also runs a digital agency called Cheap. And Tom Reed has a ton of experience on the company side uh, working at all the big companies. So the four of us have uh, have a lot of experience dealing with digital connectivity, and we call it the way it is. You know, there we don't we're not trying to sugarcoat stuff. We're trying to basically let brokers and agents into the conversations we have when uh, people aren't around, and uh, hence the term digital insurance pint. You know, when do the best conversations happen at IAO? Every place they watch the speakers and they go out and have fun and have a beer and talk about yeah. stuff and build their relationships. That's why the whole pint podcast came from. Hey, let's let's have a conversation like we're having a beer and let's be honest. Let's not sugarcoat things. Let's not pretend what's happening. Let's try and push a fake narrative. We want to be honest, and you know, we're, we're we just finished up our season six. That's launched right now, and uh, we try and do ten episodes a year, and kind of launch them like Netflix, all in batch. And uh, we have a, a couple sponsors. All the money we bring in from our sponsors goes right back into uh, you know doing the podcast and editing it. And uh, I'm I'm proud the guys are sponsoring our new book, uh, our Read to Ride program at Excalibur, uh, which uh, they bought five hundred of our books already. The Good Night and the Excalibur Academy that we actually wrote a two hundred and sixty page kids book that we're sending out to all the kids in the read to ride program and people are buying it on the Amazon uh, directly themselves. So that's gone very well, but uh, it's nice that our podcast has helped support a community initiative to help kids read better. So it's going to check a lot of the boxes, awesome. right? So, yeah, for sure. So one the last thing I want to ask you about, um, I know that just recently, maybe this year, you got involved with um, 101 Weston labs. Yes. Yes. So this is a uh, outfit that was created by the, um, the big eye chapter in North Carolina. 
Chris Klein and Abby Knight and these guys that are putting together collaborative think tanks so that insure techs can get basically startups can get funded. And oops, and you're involved with that uh, on an investor from an investor standpoint, correct? Actually, so no, no about, I'm an advisor, not an investor. Advisor. Yeah, okay, advisor, thank yeah. you, thank you. I could be an so, investor down the road, but uh, currently we're there advising. Okay, cool. So as an advisor, um, what's your hope or goal for that group? Uh, I have a number of things like, again, Abby had, Abby, good friends with Abby. Uh, I think he's one of the best leaders of all the different uh, uh, agency groups down in the U.S. Uh, but the big guy, uh, I think he's he's one of the most forward thinking and leading leaders. And it's amazing that they built this company uh, to build technology by agents for agents. And it's the only accelerator that has done that. I believe in North America right now. So what our, his hope and my hope is, hey, let's actually bring agents together to work with technology companies to build stuff together. You know, in my history, things have been done to Jeff Roy and agents and brokers, not with. And this is a good chance for the tech vendors to say, here's what agents really want. And uh, you know, we, you know. Myself, Chris Paradiso, Daniel Sung, uh, Wes Anderson. There's a lot of really cool uh, Bradley Flowers, a lot of cool people that use technology in their agencies, have a good understanding of it, and have experience uh, scouting it and listening to pitches and helping people out. So we're providing guidance to them about, hey, you're saying this, but you, have you thought through your idea well enough? You know, I'll give you an example. Chris and I did a presentation in one of the weeks, how agents and brokers buy technology. You know, I've probably heard two, 300 pitches in my lifetime. Chris has probably heard more. And we're like, hey, here's what works with agents. Here's how you need to work on it. We're providing that guidance and coaching for them. And again, it's volunteer. So we're doing it on, we're, we're, we're spending our own money to help these people out. And in our, it's our hope that by helping these companies develop great solutions, it'll help the agent continue to be successful and, uh, you know, continue to, you know, use this technology, become more efficient, more productive, you know, provide better customer service, uh, check off a lot, number of different boxes. So we're hopeful that, you know, our, our help and our, you know, just be just, you know, I, I, one of my sayings, it takes community to raise a child. So by giving back, you know, you leave the world a better place than you found it. And, you know, one of my big things... Uh, my Simon Sinek why is I want to help champion people. And how do I do that? Go above and beyond to make people's day. So I want to leave the industry better than I found it. I have a noble cause. It's not about lining my pocket with money. And, you know, it's not all about me. It's about giving back to the industry, making sure things are better than I found them, you know, and that's why I, people go, why do you speak? Why do you go to the US? Why do you, why have you spoken to 14,000 different agents and brokers? It's because I care and I want to help out. And I wish people had to help share with me a lot more when I grew up because For I didn't sure. have some of that stuff. So I want to share what I can, you know, do I know everything? Hell no. The more, I, the older I get, Dave, the more I realize I don't know very much. And uh, so I'm happy to share what I do know and my experiences and help make people better. And uh, that's what Weston Lab's all about. It, it's about creating that good technology, us coming together, building it and helping agents uh, be more successful. Yeah, to me, it'd be—it's no surprise that you're involved with them because you embrace technology like, you know, uh, probably nobody else I know. So I applaud you for that. Thanks for doing that and bringing, bringing the technology that we need as agents to the forefront, so we can make our lives, our clients' lives, 
Uh, and our agencies better and the people who work for us. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I'm I a big fan. Like that. you can tell, I'm a big fan of the U.S. Like I just, I, I just love the U.S. All the agents in the U.S. And I just feel, I just feel very welcome, and I just, I feel really comfortable in that space. And yes, you know, a lot of things I, I, I help on have no effect in Canada, but I know there's a lot of things I'm learning down there that go back and forth over the border. And again, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same stuff. There's nothing, every right. business is the same. You know, you, you, yeah. there's different legislation, there's different terminology, but it's all the same, right? There, yeah. 99% of what we do is the same. Uh, some of the tools are a little bit different, but there's so much to learn. And again, I've learned a lot from my brothers and sisters from the U.S. And hopefully I've been able to share some stuff from Canada and my perspective. And, you know, as you say, better together, right? To kind of bring yep, this full circle. Yep. One of the things I posted earlier this year too in IAOA, collectively our 9,138 uh, independent agency owners have 35,000 years of insurance industry experience. Yeah. And you can join this group for free. Yeah. No, where good. can you go? Where can you go? Uh, glean that kind of uh, knowledge and experience uh, for free anywhere hey, in your own industry. You can't, where can, you you can't, where can you get that much knowledge? Hey, quick question for you. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you earlier. Sure. I've got a friend in Canada. I was going to recommend they, they do not have Facebook accounts personally. They have a corporate mm-hmm. account. And I'm like, I've never, you know, I never saw, but then people are starting to go away from Facebook and going to Instagram or stuff first. It, can they become a member if they don't have a personal Facebook account? No, 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 not available. Nope. Here's why. Um, you might have a Facebook page for your agency, you know, Excalibur Insurance Group. We don't know who the admins are. It could be, a you know, your CSR for all I know. So we don't know who the admins are. And so if we're not, we don't want to allow access to anyone other than an owner. So now that owner would need to create a Facebook account. It's free. It'll take a two minutes. Oh, no. Um, but I know. Um, well, it's funny. They yeah. wanted to join. They want to go to convention, and uh, but they have to become yeah. a member, but they don't well, have a Facebook you know, account. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Well, so the question is, you know, you want to – our, our uh, conference is called innovation, but yet you're not using social media. So that makes me wonder, uh, what's going on here? But um, no, we restrict it that way. Um for a purpose, for a reason. Yeah. But, um, so I, know, you I know, just want to ask you that. Sorry. It's, uh, it's something they could that email me direct. Okay. They could email me direct if they really want to just attend our conference. Yeah. Even just because it's a certain presenter. Well, maybe, there maybe or you can get them to get their own personal Facebook account. Maybe. And I, I, yeah, one thing, yeah. too, is I'll get to say, like, Facebook, a lot of people are turning off the social media because it's a distraction uh, anti-social media, whatever. Like I still, I keep it. There's certain groups I'm in. I don't want to miss anything, but it's something that people are starting to go the other direction. So it's something interesting. Like what if Facebook mm-hmm. groups go away? What's the right. next collaborative too? I'm just throwing this out as debate, but mm-hmm. uh, awesome. I'll, yeah. uh, anyway, I'll connect you and yeah, I'll let you do good. your magic. I do know their owners and I can bet for them a hundred percent. And they're a great, they're, cool. they're two, they're two uh, twin brothers that have done a dynamite job. So I, I wouldn't refer anybody yeah. to less than that, but uh, anyway, right. that was great. Oh, cool. I, I know we're getting close to, I think our hour is up here, but uh, yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here today, Jeff. Um, we appreciate you. Uh, our friends up North in the great country of Canada, we appreciate you. And man, hockey's only like three months away, right? Can't wait. The season. Yeah, I know. Right. You're probably cold enough to play outside on ice right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. it's uh, yeah, it's pretty hot. I bet you it's uh, 30 degrees in our temperature. It'd be like Ooh, 90, deg- warm. 90 degrees yeah. in your temperature, right? So Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's hot everywhere in the country now. It's a hot, hot world. So anyway, hot, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Look, uh, Una and I you look bet. forward to speaking at your conference.
Thanks. Appreciate you, Jeff Roy. This is Captain Dave signing out. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Collabcast with IAOA with Captain Dave Jackson. Production and distribution by Podsquad.fm, Riverside.fm, and Spotify for Podcasters. Special thanks to Little Dog Social Media, Terry Champion, and all our guests and listeners. If you're an independent insurance agency owner, please subscribe to our podcast weekly. You can also request to join our agency owner exclusive Facebook group, IAOA, or Insurance Agency Owners Alliance at IAOA.com. Captain Dave Jackson signs out from sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs>